Thanks for listening to Pod of Jake. I'm Jake. You can reach me anytime by emailing jake at blogofjake.com. I'm fortunate to have some sponsors supporting the show whose products I genuinely love and recommend. I'll start with a word on those so the rest of the episode will have no interruptions. I hope you enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Levels. Levels uses continuous glucose monitoring to track your blood sugar in real time. It allows me to see the impact that everything I do has on my metabolic health so that I can optimize my diet and exercise accordingly. Wearing the Levels patch, I feel like I'm living in the future. There's this moment when you raise your phone to the back of your arm, it vibrates and shows your glucose level right on the screen. It's this instantaneous look inside yourself, an in-the-moment snapshot of what's going on inside your body. And while it's only showing one simple measurement for now, it's enough for me to see the future. And that's exciting. It's exciting because I believe that we can live meaningfully longer and healthier lives than we do today. And I believe technologies like Levels will help us to get there. Levels is currently running an exclusive beta program with a wait list of over 100,000 people, but you can skip the line and join Levels today by using my link in the show notes, levels.link slash jake. Again, that's levels.link slash jake. This episode is brought to you by Aura. That's O-U-R-A. The Aura ring, from my perspective, is the single best wearable on the market. I use it to measure my sleep, activity, and readiness on a daily basis. I bought my Aura ring several months ago before talking with the company's CEO on the podcast. I haven't taken it off since. I believe what gets measured gets managed. So if you care at all about your health, which you should, you have to measure your sleep in order to manage it. Aura measures much more than just my time in bed. It tracks my REM sleep versus deep sleep, my resting heart rate and heart rate variability, my temperature, my activity, and much, much more. For $299, you can get your own Aura Ring on AuraRing.com. That's O-U-R-A-R-I-N-G.com. AuraRing.com. Okay, let's get into it. We'll start by, if you don't mind, I'll just sort of ask you to... uh, tell your story for for those who don't know you and uh if you have a short version or a long version I always like the long version um so we'll do that and then uh get into things from there sure um hi everyone Uh, my name is Anna Gat um and currently I'm the founder and CEO of Interintellect um Interintellect is a curated marketplace for artists and intellectuals uh for hosting mostly online and in some cases offline events. Um, We achieve this abundance of culture and ideas on our platform uh, with the help of an amazing online and offline global community and also a really hardworking curator team. Uh, We we source hosts, we help people edit their events and bring out the most of their ideas and artistry. Um, I really am a triple immigrant and I really believe that culture and invention, um, you know, lie in the hands of people who are not necessarily in the most obvious geographies or, you know, coming from the most obvious academic or professional backgrounds. Um, So my big bet on this platform was that on the one hand, I can create a place where every conversation is good, even though it's on the Internet and it concerns, you know, uh, strangers. Um, and we've been doing this for like, we've done like 2000 events on our platform and we've had basically no problems. Um, and, and on the other hand, that I can create a mechanism or a creator platform where, 
we can unlock the talents and the the you know mastery of art and and ideas of people who would not necessarily get a chance to monetize themselves in a, in a place uh, built for high culture. Um, I think that, you know, there is cultural abundance available to most people, but it's restricted in time or place. Um, time would mean that, you know, if you are going to Brown and you are standing in the middle of the campus of Brown University, of course, there is cultural abundance around you. In any building that you can look at, um, around the lawn, you will find an amazing talk, concert, reading, discussion going on. Um, but you're not at university most of your life. You're probably there for two years um, and you live, I don't know, 80, 90 years. Yeah. So why should it be restricted in time um, and in place, in space as well? Like this is space time. Um, of course, if you're standing on a the right intersection in Paris, there's cultural and intellectual abundance around you, but most people are not there. So why should 8 billion people um, lose out on humanities, talents and creativity and, and intellectual practice just because they don't happen to be standing right now on that one corner in Paris? Um, so Interinsect is trying to build this buzzing marketplace of, of, of talent, of creativity, of ideas um, that helps you build your audience, build a community, find your voice, hone your voice in a way that is fun and that is monetized from day one. So no matter how much of a beginner you are as an interinsect host, you will be making some money, uh, which I know is super important, especially for immigrants like myself. Um, if intellectual and artistic practice is free, then only people who can afford to work for free will do it. And I don't think that that's the way to find the best, most talented, most beneficial, most inspiring people in the world. So I've been working on this for the past two and a half years, and this is a dream job, and I'm, I feel so privileged. Yeah, it's amazing, and uh, thanks for sharing that. I think uh, one of the more interesting things I read from you was like this whole thing, it seems like, was sort of inspired by, or at least to, to some degree prompted by like you sort of witnessing, you know, feeling like you were sort of a, you know, one of one, very unique and, and sort of you know, on, on the other side of that, like lonely in a sense in, in your views and just sort of who you were and the life you were living. And then you started to see sort of online that, um, you know, there are other people around the world that seem to uh, share a lot in common with you. And there was like sort of this emergent phenomenon brought on by the internet where these people were starting to connect. And uh, I think a lot of what you're doing, it sounds like is sort of organizing that a little bit and helping people, you know, discover others like themselves and there's this whole sort of, um, you know, space of values, I, I guess, and uh, preferences and uh, just sort of descriptors of, of the types of people that you guys have, have brought together at Inner Intellect that um, I think some of them were sort of emergent and others have sort of been defined. Um, but I'm curious, like, what was that early piece like? Like, where did you come from before Inner Intellect? And, and when did you decide, like, this was actually the thing that, that you wanted to do? Mm. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. One of the most frequent things that people tell me about Interinsect is that I used to be an intellectual orphan before I found Interinsect. And people actually independently uh, of each other and around the world across time use this phrase intellectual orphan, which I had never heard before these people started talking about this experience. And, and of course, especially during the pandemic, I felt very strongly, you know, 
my responsibility in creating this intellectual and artistic home for people and how important that was. Um, it's really interesting. I mean, I, like many other founders, I tried to build a completely different company first. Um, I was very much driven in 2016, 2015 um, by a lot of paranoia around the internet. I didn't personally espouse it because I always had a good experience on the internet, but I thought, you know, this seems to be a problem for so many people. Um, let's build a kind of self-protective tool that helps people navigate speech online and learn how to turn conversations into a better thing. And I was really over technologizing it. I was overbuilding. I was developing AI whilst working at night as a finance editor in London and then sleeping a few hours and then building your day. I was doing my own proprietary research. So it was a really busy time. And like with many like you know, pre-product market fit, super over-productized um, companies. Like I built something that nobody wanted to use. Um, and I was like, okay, I had this thought experiment uh, in 2019 of the apocalypse. Like how would, what, what would, what would an apocalypse mean to my company and my mission? And I imagined this world where you know, electricity is gone, Wi-Fi is gone, and we have to return to like tribal existence somehow and hunt and gather. Um, and then I was like, okay, so Google has survived the apocalypse. Google is this dude sitting under the tree and you can go up to this dude and be like, hey dude, where does Jake live? And the dude is like, third cave on the left. And you're like, thanks dude. And Facebook survived because Facebook is this, really gossipy grandma sitting next to the fire who's like Jake is out a lot these days and Jake was seen with these three girls you know and Airbnb survives because Airbnb is your cousin who's like people like you really like this cave by the sea and you should go there with your friends and I thought okay so how does my company survive in the apocalypse like what is the core 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 idea that is completely independent of like what fleshy over designed tool I'm trying to build and then I was basically left with this really, really simple thought that the way to reform the public square is not through self-protective tools. It's not through over-technologizing it. It's just like helping to change the participants in it. Like if we have better people in the public arena and they are happy and safe and productive there and able to do their work and get paid for it, then we have a better public arena. And that's the way, in my view, to like make the world significantly better and inspire people to innovate, to speak their minds, to have open inquiry and to feel safe and intellectually active, uh, even if they've already graduated from whichever campus they had the cultural abundance in. Um, and so I went back to, to the drawing board and basically restarted the whole thing in early 29 with these two ideas. Like one idea was, okay, this has to be like no tech. I literally started entering tech and we reached Raman profitability with an Excel sheet and an even bright account. So that's possible. Like I was so aggressively anti-building anything before we have it clicked. Um, we're only just now, like we, we had a very, very basic platform and we're only just now building our, our proper, um, proper uh, custom, like custom built uh, platform. Um, and the other consideration was that I don't have to, like, I should listen to my own intuition. I don't have to build self-protective tools. That's not what people need. People need open spaces with good incentives and good goals and good, like, rewards. And then they will be amazing. And somebody was joking recently that 
yeah, but people coming to Interintellect and being amazing there together with complete strangers doesn't mean that people are, you know, um, that's all they do because maybe they also go on Reddit and anonymously say whatever about each other. You know, I don't know that. But I do believe that if you previously had 0% of your time that you're able to spend on a platform like Interintellect and all of it on Instagram, Twitter, you know, Reddit, or maybe even like darker forums, um, then if you now spend 20, 50, 80% of your time on Interintellect, that will make your life like enormously better. Um, you know, sometimes I joke that we are actually competing with Netflix, like we're trying to poach you know, the most curious, open-minded, artistically, intellectually active people of binge watching TV series and instead like being interactively amazing together around ideas and artworks um, on Interinsect. I mean, if you just like skip one day a week when you're not, you know, just pushing all this mindless content into your brain and instead you come and talk about I don't know, the future of science uh, or the future of science funding or the history of fashion or how to build resilience. I think that your life is going to be materially better. Um, and I just feel very privileged to be to be able to do that. It came very, like interintellect is the result of almost organic growth. Like almost everything in my community and on my platform, I didn't come up with myself. Like I was just like following people and what they were doing and what they needed. And I built around them. Um, which also means that a lot of the things about our platform is still like are still pretty chaotic. Um, and we spend a lot of time just like streamlining and organizing things um, with my ops team. Uh, but it also means that we basically have no redundant elements in interns. Like everything that's redundant gets like filtered out immediately. Um, and we have a super short feedback loop about stuff that works. So, so I'm very happy uh, about that. And I think I had to have that bad experience with my first idea of being like completely unsuccessful. But even when it was unsuccessful, I was thinking like, oh, Interinternet is just this side project of mine. You know, it's just this little community. And I was like, you know, I was saying to myself, like I started this thing like three minutes ago and already we have like living room gatherings in Atlanta, Mumbai, and a bunch of other places around the world where I've never been. <laughs> Like maybe this is what people want and not my app, but it took me a while because I was so intent on building an app. It was, you know, that time <laughs> in tech when everybody wanted to build an app. Um, so that's how I ended up here. From a personal perspective, it makes a lot of sense. You know, I come from screenwriting and managing rock bands and working on NGOs. So it's always kind of a mixture for me. It, it was always a mixture of like social causes and audience building and working with dialogue and language. Um, my academic background is in philosophy of the arts and, and language. Um, I've, I adored working on plays and screenplays. I loved it, felt very privileged working on NGO stuff. I co-founded like Hungary's biggest female um, empowerment platform, for instance, and I have other stuff like that on my CV. Um, and, and I loved, 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 loved working in rock music or like alternative um, music. Um, I mean, when you work in music, uh, you learn everything about uh, audience and community building because it's physical. Like people are actually there physically around the stage and festivals and tours. Um, but I found the limitations of, of those things. Um, I also found the limitations of trying to just be a writer or just be an academic. Um, and it was very important to me to kind of like synergize and find a way where I felt, okay, 
maybe this is like a super small turf, but this is mine and this is where I'm at my best. Um, and I can be very proactive and very free in building. Um, but it was a long process. I mean, I'm 38 now. So I only really started, you know, working on the very, very first, 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 first incarnation of interintellect when I was 32, 33, somewhere between the two. Um, so I'm definitely a late bloomer um, and I wasted a lot of time on nonsense in my life. So kids, if you're hearing this, <laughs> be faster than I was. Okay. I also had to like immigrate twice in the past, you know, <laughs> nine years. So I was busy with other like human catastrophes, but, um, but still, I think, I feel that I could have been faster. Yeah. It's interesting. I, uh, I would encourage you to maybe like, you know, you could reflect on that. I think one of two ways, right? Like you could say, you know, I've wasted all this time getting to where I am now and, and, uh, I'm really happy with where I am now. Or you could say like, you know, cause I, you know, personally, I went through some times that sort of, I wish, uh, to some degree uh, that, that didn't happen and felt like a waste of time or they weren't pleasant and whatnot, but I don't know if I'd be where I am without those. And I, I think the same could be true for you. Like, for example, if you didn't try to, uh, you know, start where, where you started with trying to protect people online and use all this AI and over productize and everything like that. Um, you know, you might not have arrived at inner intellect and, uh, you know, to that point, I guess I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, there's, there's Twitter and there's Instagram and Reddit and all these things you named TikTok, I guess is the big one now. Um, and it's like, I imagine you were trying to solve this problem of like, how do we make things more civil and like people more reasonable and like conversations better and something that's just a more attractive space for the type of people that are collecting around inner intellect today. Um, and it's like just a super hard problem. I don't, you know, no one's really solved it and it's just, uh, I don't know if it can be solved. And so part of your realization, I feel like was like, you know, you, you boiled things down to the root of like, what am I trying to do? And, um, you know, you realize like, rather than sort of dealing with this big broken thing, let me try to create like the purest version and like go, you know, no tech first and just try to find all of these people and bring them all together and have these great conversations. And I think at the top, you mentioned like you've had, I think a couple thousand of these now and like none of them have really gone poorly, I guess. Um, and, and most of them have probably been, you know, somewhere between like good, great and, and totally awesome. Um, and I'm curious, like, do you, do you think you'll revisit that objective of like taking the existing forums and, and trying to improve them? Or anything like that or are you just going to continue on sort of with this new model of you know let's start with the people let's be low tech let's try to sort of create some sort of hybrid between online so that everyone in the world can discover the stuff and participate um and then offline so that everyone can sort of build bonds in person and uh you know see how far we can get with this with this new thing and not worry about you know this is where millions and millions of people are but start with like, you know, we've got tens and hundreds and thousands of people here and uh, it's a great group. And we've got, we've sort of figured out this recipe for like better conversation and, you know, a, a good competitor to, uh, to Netflix for people who want like a better way to spend an hour or two on a weekday or, or whatever it might be. And uh, let's see like what, what we can build from that. And uh, I'm curious, like, you know, the first couple of years of, of doing this, what have you seen like sort of evolve out of that second approach? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this, these are two different questions. Uh, one of the questions is about online versus offline. So we currently offer 
mainly online events. Um, but for our members, we have a lot of offline gatherings around the world where we have people who want to host them. Um, the reason why the uh, offline gatherings are uh, members only um, is that just for basic like accountability and safety reasons, often these are in private homes. So, you know, the minimum vetting that we can do is, you know, ensuring that the people that we, you know, send into your house <laughs> through our platform um, are members, paying members, and that we have, you know, some knowledge of them. Um, the online events are fully public. Most of them, we do have some members only and some host training and host facing events. Uh, but the, the the vast majority of them are public. Um, and this is very important. For me, having the safety of the room of intentional, full attention participants is really important. So like Emma Shear, a great friend of mine, investor in the uh, in, in, in my community uh, and in my company, um, CEO of Twitch, you know, made this very important distinction that Twitch is a partial attention um, entertainment form and interintellect is a full attention entertainment form. And so you will be with a bunch of strangers, but they will all be under their own names um, and their own video, like you will see them on video and they are there because they want to be there. They paid for it. They arrive on time. And so, you know, while, when, while, like, once you are in the room, you know, it's a very free flowing and very intimate and very, you know, um, intellectually, religiously, politically diverse conversation. But there is this, like, it's a little bit harder to make it into an inter-intellect salon than it is to jump into a clubhouse room or a Twitter spaces. Like you can't accidentally find yourself <laughs> in an inter-intellect salon, you have to want it. And if you want it, you choose to do that. You, you know, you choose to spend your time that slot in your calendar, you pay or you use your member code for going to this particular event. I think that level of buy-in and intentionality is really, really important. And so I think that's one of the reasons why um, our online events are working as they are. Um, I do think that there are other places on the internet where there are good conversations, but to find them is rare, random, and risky um, because you have to go through a lot of noise to find what's good. And what I want to build is a place, interintellect.com, where any conversation you click on, you know, you've never heard of this host, you have no idea about the topic, you've never met anybody in the room, and you will have a good experience. Like you said, like the great is also rare, it's Pareto. Like we have majestic experiences sometimes that's not always the case but it's always good and to me that's like unbelievable and i'm so happy and proud to have been able to to do this um yeah, yeah i mean that's uh that's sorry. much much better than the the comment section on a on a randomly selected tweet yeah and actually like the other side of your question which is like do we want to reform the existing tools or do we want to build a separate tool? To me, like I would take that question even further and then you can look at, you know, like Balaji. Does Balaji want to reform the existing countries? Sure. Does he think that he we should make new countries? Hell yeah. Um, you know, Interinject is a little bit like, do we, uh, will, will we waste time trying to reform, for instance, existing political um, like silos? Or do we think that we can build a new discussion space and then maybe 20 years from now, the futures, you know, new political parties or movements will be built in these 
basically almost like online campuses. Um, and I think, you know, knowing our members and how, you know, uh, disaffected they seem to be uh, with a lot of the existing tools and existing political options, I think that's, that is not an impossible idea. I think it's it's likely. I mean, we've in Interinteract, we've seen in two and a half years of existence, we have people getting married in the community, like for reals. We have people moving to each other across continents and very, very commonly uh, across countries. Um, we have people who quit their jobs. We have people who found a new career. We have people who went back to school. We have people who are starting to write their books or their books together. Um, so we, we see that this, the type of comfort and excitement combination that we offer has a profound impact on people. And because we do it in a way that is for the audience and community is really affordable, but for the people who use us as a creator platform, it's really lucrative. I think that element um, like heightens the sense of agency that people get uh, by just being with us. Um, because at the end of the day, we want to give economic and intellectual and artistic freedom to people. Yeah, it's it's an interesting balance to strike, I imagine, because like like you said earlier, you know, it's to have just anyone, you know, contribute. But basically, you would if you had everything free, the only people who would like, you know, host these salons and, and events and the like would be people who can sort of afford to to work for free. But a lot of people around the world that you want part of the community, they can't afford to work for free and, and they need to make some money and um, yet you've somehow, you know, that could be preventative to the same types of people who want to participate and don't want to host if it costs, you know, too much, if sort of the barrier to entry is, is too expensive, but somehow you guys have sort of met this, this happy medium where the hosts can get paid and yet no one is really barred from participating at least to some degree. Um, so that must've been sort of a, a challenging balance, but one that it sounds like you guys have achieved. And I thought it was really interesting as well. Like you mentioned you know, it's not like Clubhouse or Twitter spaces where you just can sort of stumble into this sort of thing. You have to, you know, sign up and, and in many cases, you know, pay a small amount of money and in other cases show up to a specific place in person, which may be like nowhere near where you're from or whatever. Um, so you really have to like take a lot of effort and in some cases pay some money to get involved in these sorts of conversations and just doing that. Like I think, um, you know, I would read something at some point how like, pledging a fraternity or sorority like part of the reason you value it so much is because it's sort of hard to get into and you have to like sacrifice a lot through through the pledging to like become a member of this thing and in the world that we have today where like everything is like so frictionless and you can just pop into any discord or any twitter conversation or whatever um just putting a little bit of friction up front probably makes people you know value the conversation and, and the event more than they otherwise might and uh you know, it's one thing to like get a genuinely valuable conversation going, but then separately to that, having everyone who's there just sort of like appreciate it for what it is and, and value it a little bit more because of what they had to do to get there, I think is probably helping. But outside of that, you know, it's, it's crazy. Like you talk about people, you guys have only been around for like two and a half years, at least in like sort of the current or quasi current form. And yet people have gotten married, which is just wild. Um, people are writing books together and working together and traveling across the world to see each other. I know you were just like in India, I think, um, meeting with some folks from from the community. Um, I did. What's... I did three three gatherings in four days. Yeah. 
So I, I definitely want to hear more about India, but before we get there, like if you have to sort of simplify things to, to the essence and, and maybe we've already covered it to some degree, but any additional thoughts you have on like, what's the secret sauce of this, you know, stellar community building where people are literally like getting married and writing books together. It's just, you know, there's tons of people trying to create communities out there and starting on the internet and attracting like-minded people and the like, but very, very, very few of those I think are resulting in marriages and colleagues and, you know, best friends and, and things like that. So what do you think is sort of the secret sauce that's helping contribute to uh, what you guys have done so far? Uh, I wish I knew exactly, right? I don't, a lot of things I also learn as they are developing. Um, a lot of good things in our community happen because we don't force them to happen. We just like create this space where it's good to be and then things happen normally. Um, I really like self-governance. So like we do almost no moderation and don't even need to on our Discord. It's very, very chill. Um, for our events, we have the five rules of gathering and the four rules of hosting, which have been our kind of scaffolds for our events. And they are the only things that are true about every single event, whether that's a performance, a talk, a song, um, you know, a reading group, a workshop. Um, and I really deeply believe in the in these nine nine rules. Um, I can tell you later if if, if there is interest. Um, as for the community, I mean, in 2020, every almost everybody that I was in touch with in the industry pressured me like crazy to build a community business, to make it. You know, every like I would I would have had to like charge for subscriptions, and then only subscribers could have gone to events. And I was like. First of all, I don't think that communities are businesses and I don't think that they should be. Every year, like I've been, a I've been around long enough to know that every year people always pressure you to do something. Like last year it was DAOs. I don't know what it's going to be this year. Like there's always like something and I'm like, just leave me alone. Like let's me, let me just like work with my users and like build for them. It's fine. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm sure I'm missing out on things as well. Um, but like, everybody's like, you have to build a community, like community, community, like, okay. And I always saw our community as a, an important component of inter-intellect, but it's not the component. Like we're a community empowered or encircled business, but we're a curated events marketplace. Like people who are in the community are there for a reason. They are there because they met at events. They are there because they want to host events or they want to talk about events or they want to, I don't know, what other thing they want to talk about they're happy like they can um and you know our community members don't feel that oh now my main job is to be a community member i think that's that's exhausting um so i just like i'm just running this business around the events and working on hosts and i have a creative pr production team and it's, it's amazing um and then we just trust that if the right tools are there and the right vibe is there then the community will just like form and live naturally and your job as a community leader is to just let them be <laughs> like they are adults they know what they want to talk about they know who they want to talk to um and of course and there are you know moderation and co co rules and code of conduct and you know sometimes you know i have to step in but it's very very rare um i think people respond very positively for as long as the other incentives are right then people respond very positively to trust and and just like stepping back and letting letting them live. So that's kind of been my um, my bet. 
I understand that this is a scale question as well. And I know that if we, um, you know, um, like at the moment when we have like 10 times as many people as we have now, we will have very, very different problems. Um, and probably there will be like a vibe shift. Um, but for now, um, I allow my community to define itself, um, move in and out, um, start their own subcultures, um, have introverted, extroverted periods, online, offline periods, and and just like work for them and around them. Yeah. So you talk about being like more event centric than community centric and salon itself is like a word that I don't really hear very often. Like there's not, you know, you hear community with just about every company these days and all these DAOs, <laughs> like you mentioned. And like, yeah. you know, I can tell you guys don't have all the, uh, you, well, you do have a discord, but you don't have like, you know, your own NFT collection and whatnot. So you've resisted some of the, uh, the popular things that I, I guess people have probably recommended to you over the last couple of years, which is probably a good thing. You, you guys are not just, uh, you know, following what's, what's going on, but sort of driving from a very uh, principled place, it seems like. But why were salons, like in particular, important as like an event format? And like, what exactly is that? What's like the history? How did that become like the thing that you wanted to start with and, and focus on in terms of like event format? Mm. Yeah, so salon itself, the word means a small room. So salle in French is uh, a whole, a bigger room. Um, um, and salon is like a diminutive of it. And salons used to be um, like little adjacent rooms to like living rooms in, in, in affluent European homes, where usually the women would hold gatherings or where people would you know, read literature together or play music together or have really high level conversations about things together. Um, there is an idea about how these spaces had to be built by women because women were outsiders economically, politically, religiously. Um, and there is something like, you know, I'm the triple immigrant that nobody can really place. And there's a reason why I am the person running this company. You have to be a little bit neutral, a little bit on the outside to be able to ask some of the questions that we need to ask. Um, and so these were the women um, in the Holy Roman Empire and then the absolutist French uh, court um, holding these conversations. And they became very, very popular. You know, the great enlightenment scientists, thinkers, encyclopedists, um, uh, politicians, poets, um, you know, tired by you know, very like heavy, really male shop talk um, in the court or, you know, in the parliament, um, loved to be in this multidisciplinary, laid back, chill place where they could talk about their favorite composer or the funniest pamphlet they read last week. Um, and so they became very popular and actually started not just gathering um, intellectuals and artists, but also to build them. So, you know, if you were a young wannabe in like um, Weimar in Goethe's time in Germany, then if you wanted to get a start, a head start, you would have to get yourself into one of these salons because then you would be like sitting next to a really drunk Goethe and you could show him your poems, you know, like that was much easier than actually going through the, it was a informal place to, to, to like learn from the best and meet the best. Um, and then, you know, in like early 20th century France, for instance, or London or New York, the salons became 
you know, the uh, something similar, like the gatherings in cafes where people like the, the French existentialists would come together or the expressionists, the weirdos, um, or, or where the weirdos would meet the normies. Um, and they are kind of informal, bottom-up um, intellectual arenas that are transient and mobile and, and constantly mutating, always like come to existence in the moment. Um, and so I, when I first started, I was thinking of like doing talks and panels and stuff like that. But I, I always feel when I'm on a panel that I'm the least interesting person in the room. Like, why the hell am I talking? <laughs> like, this makes no sense. And, and so I was like, okay, what is a format where we can actually like hear from everybody and not just like at the end during a rushed Q and A when people are like shaking and queuing up to a mic but where we just like, everybody's chill and everybody gets to talk the same amount of time. Um, and which is actually one of the five rules of gathering, like equal speaking time. It's not obligatory. Like if you don't want to talk, you don't have to, but like everybody's given the chance to like get the same space and time for themselves as everybody else. And the salon came very, very naturally. Um, and so I just started hosting these and then other people also wanted to host them. And it started basically like spreading um, and I think because of, because it's a combination of really familiar and chill environment where you relax and you really can connect with people and you really can come up with original ideas, but it's also very exciting because it's live. It's always unique. Like who comes together, who shares what it's always unpredictable or, or always like you have to be there. It's once in a lifetime. I think this combination, uh, of familiarity and excitement is like the, like there's a reason why this is a many hundreds of years old tradition there is something around this and you could argue that in Plato's symposium the symposium basically was a salon like these great dudes came together to talk about like philosophy and love and sex and wine um whilst seemingly just like hanging out and um you know drinking wine and eating grape and goat I don't know what the Greeks were eating um so you have this seemingly frivolous informal sometimes drunk in some ways decadent edgy contrarian space and funnily these produce some of the most important philosophical works for instance like all of the socrates dialogues are just like informal conversations um and i really love that i mean it's not a rule because you know the aristotelian academy also produced really important uh, works of philosophy but the fact that these are competitors stuff coming out of academia and stuff coming out of like a drunk salon 3 a.m conversation you know the fact that these things are equal in their output to me is very telling and I'm definitely doing that <laughs> I'm doing the informal drunk egalitarian fun version of it um and we you know we see all the good things that are coming out of it yeah, no, I, I think it's really cool. And like, it's a lot of people, I think, especially you started this, I guess, just before the world changed with COVID and everything. And especially now over the last couple of years, I think a lot of people just like crave something in person and personal and low key and chill and like unstructured. But they also, you know, don't want to just talk about like whatever, you know, small talk there is. They want to talk about like interesting things that I think it sounds like these salons are sort of more oriented towards and there's a host and there's just enough structure there to, uh, you know, that people can sort of know what to expect to some degree. And it attracts the right kinds of people who are all sort of 
aligned on on what this is all about but at the same time it's not like overly structured or um just you know it, it's like hits that right balance it sounds like that certainly people to date have, have really seemed to enjoy them um but i know you know there's one thing to get to where you are now where like you have this amazing global group of people that are all meeting at these events and you know everything we've talked about already but i understand you guys are also working on a new a new business model now to um you know maybe continue to scale this and and you know popularize it and hopefully you know popularize can be good or bad i guess but hopefully maintain what's what's special about it in the early days while um getting it out there a little bit more can you talk about what that new business model is going to look like Apologies, but I actually can't. And the reason for this is, as you saw, there is a town hall listed where I talk to the community about this first um, to hear their opinions. Um, and so this is kind of our rule that when there is a major change, um, our community hears about it first. Uh, okay, no worries. Uh, well, people can look forward to hearing <laughs> about that. And, and that's a good yeah, plug. Yeah, join for, the community, uh... come, to the, come to the event. It's on the 2nd of September, and then you will be amongst the first people to hear about it. And after that, I can talk about it on podcasts. No, that's great. Uh, so people, <laughs> not, you know, now you have a reason to join if you didn't already. So go and uh, hear what the new business model is all about. Sure. Uh, so I guess uh, I, know, I know we're coming up on time a little bit, and it's gone by really quick. I know we spent a bit of time uh, talking before we pressed record, but um, I guess one interesting thing to, to close out with would be like, what's the difference? You know, you, you were just in India and you mentioned how like historically there's a lot in common between salons, but it might've been a little bit different in like France than it was in uh, New York and certainly not just across geography, but across time and like Plato and Socrates time, obviously it was a very different thing. Um, what have you seen? Like you guys probably have you know, there, there's these rules that you mentioned that unfortunately I don't think we have time to get into, but there's some consistency there, but I imagine there's a lot that- We can add you know, the links. We can add the links maybe in the description. I will I will add the links for the five rules of gathering and four rules of hosting so people can, if they are interested, they can read up on it. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. Um, but I'm curious, like, you know, outside of this like minimal structure, what have been some of like the surprising things or the enjoyable things that you've seen different in like how an event is hosted in one place by one person and then across the world by someone very different. And maybe you could talk about like what you saw in India, just because that's fresh in mind. Uh, that's such a lovely question. Um, so India, it, so Bangalore and Mumbai are very, very important um, hubs for Interinteract. Um, they come to a lot of offline, uh, sorry, they come to a lot of online events and even host. And this was the first time when I did an offline event myself, uh, but there have been multiple even before I went. Um, I mean, to me, these offline gatherings are just, I mean, it's members, hosts coming together, you know, people who maybe came to one salon at some point and then just fell in love and joined the community, started hosting events themselves. It was very, very warm. Sometimes we joke that the only thing that interinteract members have in common with each other is that they are all interinteract members. <laughs> like you try to like we sometimes try to pull people and like typify people it's really hard um because you know we beckon people who are a little bit different and a little bit outsiders and so that comes with a high level of individuality um in the sense of like innovation in online events i mean that's that's absolutely brilliant. so one thing that i noticed on myself is like these days 90 percent of my events that i host come out of other salons. So I'm sitting at a I'm sitting in a conversation, and then at the end I feel that oh, 
this topic would deserve its own session because there's definitely like three hours to talk about it, uh, in it to talk about it. And then I basically, that's just like, when I close the Zoom, I just go and list it. Um, so that's like topic curation wise, how much it's like you're weaving this endless, you know, thread, um, it's, it's beautiful. Um, in terms of like other people's innovations, like, I mean, I always said that what I came up with this choreography of a standard intrinsic salon is just like the standard and everybody provided that they respect the code of conduct and the rules of gathering and the rules of hosting are welcome to do anything they want. So some people do improv, some people do talent shows, some people do learn old English, some people read an outdone poem for three hours or Philip Larkin. Um, I think just the general variety and creativity of people just so, it, that's something that every day I am just wowed and, and humbled by by that um you know and, and it also makes me like you know when people come to me and they're like oh can I use slides during my salon it's so beautiful to be able to say like yeah we actually have like 20 hosts who regularly use slides in their salons I don't but they can and people love it. Um, and, and, and to see that, that variety um, of human creativity, of, 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 of atmosphere building, space creation, to me that's, I mean, I always wanted to be just one of the hosts and that's, that's what's happening now. I, I, I have a beautiful life where I get to be often the dumbest person in the room and just one of the creators on my creator platform. And to me, that's, that's the biggest privilege. Awesome. Well, uh, I know we're coming up on time, actually just hit the hour and uh, I want to be respectful of yours, but appreciate you so much, Anna, for, for coming on and sharing this with me. And uh, I definitely need to check out a salon myself for, for those Thank who you are. So much. Uh, this was so much fun. I loved your questions and your insights. This is really, really good. Thank you. Uh, for, for those who also want to get involved, where should we point people to, uh, you know, go check out an event or follow you and, and, the, and you know, enter in yeah. and see what's going on? Find us on the internet at www.interintellect.com. Uh, come find me on Twitter. I'm at, at the Anagat. Um, and you can also email us, like if you have a question or a query or an idea you want to share, um, it's hello at interintellect.com. I am also seeing these emails, so you're very, very welcome to write. Um, if you want to be like, oh, I don't need any more information, I just want to join the community, then you can just go interintellect.com slash join and just click on the button there or like choose the plan that you want yearly, quarterly, you know, monthly and just come. We'd love to have you. Awesome. Uh, sounds easy enough. Well, thank you again, Anna. I really appreciate it and uh, enjoyed the conversation. And uh, I got to get a little bit more involved, but uh, keep keep doing what you're doing. It's awesome to see and uh, looking forward to seeing how it develops. And when you uh, when you do announce the new business model, uh, I'll be looking forward to it. <laughs> thank you so much.